The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to Prognosis. I'm Laura Carlson. It's day 64 since coronavirus was declared a global pandemic. Our main story? Many governments and companies were caught off guard by the devastating spread of the coronavirus. But Gilead Sciences was different. The company had vials of its experimental COVID-19 drug, remdesivir, ready to put into a clinical trial. And it had everything it needed to spring into production when the drug was approved for emergency use. How did Gilead anticipate what so many others missed? But first, here's what happened today. For the eighth straight week, the number of Americans seeking unemployment totaled in the millions as the economy continued to reel from the pandemic. Nearly 3 million people filed initial jobless claims last week. And while the number was lower than the week before, it was higher than economists had predicted. Economists at Goldman Sachs Group revised their forecast for the peak unemployment rate in the U.S. They now say unemployment will hit 25% before falling again, when they previously forecast a peak of 15%. A serious but rare inflammatory disease in children may have jumped 30-fold because of coronavirus, according to an Italian study. A detailed analysis from Bergamo, the city at the center of the Italian COVID-19 outbreak, found 10 cases of a COVID-linked illness that resembles Kawasaki disease. All told, about 100 such cases have been reported in Italy, New York, and England. The cases are challenging the previous understanding that the disease rarely made children very sick. Finally, Asian countries that were among the first affected by the coronavirus and the most successful in quelling its spread are now fearing second waves. After containing their outbreaks through measures from strict lockdowns to rapid testing regimes, Hong Kong, South Korea, and China face resurgences of the disease even as they pursue aggressive testing and tracing. It's a reminder that untraceable flare-ups are likely even after an extended lull in cases. Scientists have warned that the disease may never go away because it lurks in some people without causing any outward signs of sickness. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash GreenFestival. And now, our main story. 
The drug remdesivir, manufactured by Gilead Sciences, has offered one of the few slivers of hope about the virus to emerge in the last few months. In a clinical trial, remdesivir was shown to reduce the recovery time of patients who were seriously sick with COVID-19. Based on that trial, the Federal Food and Drug Administration authorized the drug for emergency use. The promising results suggested the virus may be beatable, and even buoyed the volatile stock market for a short while. Gilead had enough of its drug ready to test and start manufacturing it at a larger scale because it had started stockpiling not just the drug, but its ingredients. At the first hint, there may be a new coronavirus. I talked to Robert Langreth about why the company was able to act early to prepare for a pandemic, when so many businesses and institutions did not. So, Bob, how good is this drug? Well, the short answer is we really don't know yet. Uh, it got an emergency authoriz- use authorization by the Food and Drug Administration uh, based basically on a single trial of about 1,000 patients conducted by the National Institutes of Health. According to the preliminary data, kind of it helped speed up recovery from the, the, the disease on average by about four days. Uh, but none of the data really has been published. We don't really know any of the details of the data. And then there's another study from China, a much smaller study from China, you know, that failed to show a clear effect of the drug, uh, also in hospitalized patients. So it's just uh, the data is very, very preliminary, preliminary now. You know, doctors really haven't seen it. It hasn't been invented or published, you know, in a medical journal. It is from, you know, the NIH with a very good reputation, Tony Fauci's uh, group at you know, NIH helped sponsor and conduct this, uh, this study. But, you know, in terms of the, the fine details of it, whether there's a save lives or not, you know, we just don't know yet. So you wouldn't necessarily call it a cure? No, I definitely would not necessarily call it a cure. And uh, in, uh, you know, discussing it, you know, uh, early on uh, when they kind of announced the results, uh, Tony Fauci kind of likened this early trial to the early trials of, you know, AZT, which was one of the uh, the first HIV drug. And that kind of uh, was, you know, proved quickly uh, based on early evidence. But then, you know, later on was, you know, supplanted by, you know, much uh, more potent, uh, stronger drug combinations. The way to think about this is kind of, hey, it's a start. You know, it's a first, first drug we can use, and there we're going to need many more uh, drugs and vaccines in the future. So I'm wondering, what are some of the issues with producing this drug in in large quantities? It's been likened to, uh, you know, making, you know, these uh, very specialized complex chemicals. Sort of been likened to uh, baking a a very, you know, specialized fancy type of bread. You have to do, uh, you know, have to have all the uh, right ingredients on hand in large quantities. And if you have to wait for the wheat to grow, so to speak, then you're, you know, out of luck and you may have to wait a while. So you have to have all the ingredients on hand, and then you have to execute all the steps in the uh, proper sequential order. And for this drug, there's more steps, chemical steps than usual. There's about like 25 different chemical steps, depending on how you count. So basically, at the start of the process, Gilead had, you know, Gilead had some supply on hand, but uh, they estimated that to make more of it, it would take you know, 9 to 12 months from start to finish, uh, just to gather all the important raw materials and starting chemicals, uh, then to produce the raw drug supply, the raw, they call it active pharmaceutical ingredient. That's just like a bulk white powder. And then because this drug is not a pill, it's infused into vials that there's 
there's, there's an additional manufacturing step that's needed, and that they have to you have to dissolve it and put it into vials under uh, very sterile conditions, uh, and that adds additional complexity to the process at a, you know a separate manufacturing plant. So all told, though, you know, there's there's a quite a number of steps, and they've been able uh, to get it down to about you know, six months now uh, by improving the process, but it, you know it's still you know a lengthy, uh, complicated uh, process from start to finish. What was the original use case for remdesivir? Why was Gilead developing the drug? Yeah, so it's very interesting. They they put a team together uh, back in 2014, you know, looking at some of their drugs uh, for emerging viruses. And, you know, one of the reasons they were looking at that is because that was like the big uh, Ebola outbreak in West Africa. So they put together a team, you know, 15 or 20 people looking at that, you know, what drugs might be good for some of these emerging viruses. And remdesivir, which like in the test tube, worked, worked against all... A lot of viruses uh, kind of jumped to the top of the list, but they weren't able to actually test it in people and for efficacy in Ebola until kind of the next Ebola outbreak. That was like 2018, 2019 uh, in the Congo. Uh, interestingly enough, it didn't work well there. Uh, and they got those results, you know, last year. But in the process of, you know, testing it for Ebola and looking at it for other things, uh, some researchers at, uh, that Gilead was working with at the University of North Carolina and Vanderbilt University Medical Center, you know, showed that it was really uh, quite effective, at least in the lab and the test tube type tests against a whole variety of coronaviruses. When this COVID-19 came along, remdesivir basically immediately became you know, a prime candidate to test as a drug against COVID-19. Currently, how much supply is there of remdesivir? So Gilead is promising to donate uh, the first 1.5 million vials of the drug. And that's, you know, roughly enough to treat close to 200,000 patients, uh, you know, under kind of existing uh, regimens. And uh, the uh, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services said that about 600,000 of those uh, vials are going to earmark, so to speak, for the United States. That maybe that will treat about 78,000 patients here. So, you know, there's there's already a lot of debate over... uh, you know, which hospitals are getting it and why. Now, Gilead's not deciding that. The U.S. government and the state governments are deciding that. But there's been a lot of confusion uh, over, you know, what, how, what, you know, how is it being allocated to different hospitals and why do some parts of the country have a supply of this now and others don't? How is that being decided? So uh, Gilead is working very hard to uh, increase the supply. One key decision, you know, it made early on was, you know, very early in January, as soon as it became clear that this thing, you know, was caused by a coronavirus and could potentially be significant, they put out a big, big order for, like, all the bulk supplies. They need to make a lot more of this drug, uh, sort of like the equivalent of, you know, all the specialized flour and all the specialized eggs and all the specialized butter and all the other ingredients that go into your baking. They put out a big, big order. And because of that, you know, they're now in a position to start, you know, making much bigger supplies of it. And they're talking about having by fall enough to treat 500,000 patients, by end of the year enough to treat at least a million patients. So that's still going to take a number of months to roll in. So it's still right now, it's definitely in in short supply. Now, you mentioned that Gilead is willing to donate a certain amount of the drug initially, but eventually they are going to have to charge for the drug. Is there any estimate of how much this drug is going to cost? Now, Gilead's not talking about it, so it's too early to talk about that. But uh, Wall Street, you know, is talking about that. And they're they're figuring, you know, it might be around three or four or five thousand dollars per course of treatment, uh, you know, at least for, you know, wealthier countries like the United States and Europe. So as you mentioned, remdesivir is not a cure for COVID-19. And so in, in your estimate or your recommendation, 
what are some other drugs or vaccines? What more research is needed to be done to maybe complement remdesivir or maybe to actually find a cure for COVID-19? Well, there's just an immense, uh, I call it almost a fire hose of drugs and trials and vaccines being tested now. There's like literally more, you know, more than 100 drugs and 100 vaccines being either tested in trials or you know, explored in preclinical trials. Um, one approach on the drug front uh, that a number of companies are working on is called monoclonal antibodies. This is antibodies to be directly against COVID-19. Uh, and companies working on that uh, include uh, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, uh, which made a successful treatment for Ebola using the same type of approach. And so monoclonal antibodies, they be essentially, when, when you, when you uh, get, get the uh, virus and recover from it, you have antibodies to that virus that basically block the spike protein of the virus, which is how the virus gets into cells. And so what these uh, artificially made uh, monoclonal antibodies would be, would you essentially duplicate the natural process of creating antibodies, uh, and except they pick out some antibodies and make you know, large quantities of them in the factory and just inject them you know, directly into you. And you could use these monoclonal antibodies two different ways. They could be used as a preventative treatment for people at very high risk, such as like nurses, doctors, first responders. And they could also be used to treat very sick patients uh, with the disease. And Regeneron has talked about starting uh, clinical trials with that approach uh, in June, and there are several other drug companies also working on similar approaches. And these antibodies are viewed as one of the most promising uh, treatment approaches for COVID-19. That was Bloomberg's Robert Langraf. His reporting on Gilead is the cover story of this week's issue of Bloomberg Businessweek. And that's our show today. For coverage of the outbreak from 120 bureaus around the world, visit Bloomberg.com coronavirus. And if you like the show, please leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It's the best way to help more listeners find our global reporting. The Prognosis Daily Edition is hosted by me, Laura Carlson. The show was produced by me, Topher Forges, Jordan Gaspure, and Magnus Henriksen. Today's main story was reported by Robert Langriff. Original music by Leo Sidrin. Our editors are Francesca Levy and Rick Schein. Francesca Levy is Bloomberg's head of podcasts. Thanks for listening. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.